the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. As we begin today's broadcast of Way of Grace, we turn our attention to the book of Acts, chapter 21 and verses 1 through 14. Our message is called In Honor of the Gospel to Jerusalem, in honor of the prophetic word. We're moving forward through the book of Acts currently, and again, as mentioned, we find ourselves in chapter 21 and the first 14 verses. Please join us there as we catch up with Pastor Jessica Stand for today's broadcast of Way of Grace. The theme of our study tonight is in honor of the gospel to Jerusalem, in honor of the prophetic word. I think it'll make itself very clear in verses 1 through 14. Interesting transition point from chapter 20, where we left off with a lengthy excursion and circumvention uh, from Acts 30, 31, and 32. Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. That's where we were for the last four months, building up, building up, and to give you an inheritance among all those that are sanctified. And once he laid out his qualifications for having done the job of an apostle honorably, um, Paul began to move away from Ephesus. So the language that we're about to look at in verses 1 through 14 is a transition from the northern parts of um, Asia Minor to Jerusalem, which is where he is headed. Hence our title, In Honor of the Gospel to Jerusalem. And we will be learning a number of uh, critical lessons about the way in which God works, particularly in that first century context. Verses 1 through 14. And it came to pass that after we were gotten from them, them being the brothers in Miletus, which is some 20, 30 miles from Ephesus, where he called the elders of Ephesus down to talk about his departure. Uh, And it came to pass that after we were gotten from them and had launched, we came with a straight course unto Coos and the day following unto Rhodes and from thence unto Patara. That's three cities hence. And finding a ship sailing over unto Phoenicia, we went abroad or aboard and set forth. So now from walking or carriage or donkey, they are on a ship because they are Uh, descending north to Jerusalem some 400 miles. And so this is a long journey. Verse 3, now when they had discovered Cyprus, we left it on the left hand and sailed into Syria and landed at Tyre, Syria being the uh, lower regions of Asia Minor in between um, Ephesus and Israel. For there the ship was to unlaid her burdens. 
And finding disciples, we tarried there seven days, who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. And when we had accomplished those days, we departed and went our way, and they all brought us on our way with wives and children till we were out of the city, and we kneeled down on the shore and prayed. And when we had taken our leave one of another, we took ships, and they returned home again." And when we had finished our course from Tyree, we came to Tolomis and saluted the brethren and abode with them one day. So seven days at uh, the city that we were previously at, Tyree, and one day in Tolomis. And the next day, we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea. And we entered into the house of Philip, the evangelist, which was one of the seven and abode with him. Now, Philip, uh, Caesarea is even closer now to Jerusalem. It's about 40 miles north of Samaria and Samaria is about 40 miles north of Jerusalem. So we are descending, getting closer to ground zero, which will be the major battle in chapters 22 through 28, where Paul will be arrested. And the same man, I'm sorry, verse eight. And the next day we were of Paul's company, departed and came to Caesarea. And we entered into the house of Philip, the evangelist, which was one of the seven and abode with him. And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what mean ye to weep and to break my heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, the Lord, the will of the Lord be done. Thus is the reading of God's word. 15 leads us right into Jerusalem, which becomes a whole nother scenario. By the way, let me just say this now. There will not be a Friday study next week. We will commence the week after. You can come if you want to next week, but most of us won't be here, okay? I certainly won't. So it's just Friday that will be off. Every other event will be taking place next week. Just next Friday, we won't be here. Now, what we have in chapter 21, verses 1 through 14, is an interesting and amazing event that I want to sort of lay a foundation on if you missed it in the narrative. And one of the things about proper biblical interpretation, at the top of the list of sound biblical interpretation, is a rule we call observation. And I'll just state this as you guys are working through the text with me. One of the areas in which you will miss with regards to properly interpreting, interpreting scripture is not being careful to read the scriptures carefully. Um, people ask me all the time, how do you interpret the Bible? How help me understand hermeneutical rules of interpretation? And I tell them that if you're going to be successful at understanding scripture, you have to first have an honor for the scriptures. 
It has to be the first rule of thumb. So I'm going to requisite this this way. And then you'll see why God gives you good teachers. And you'll say they're good teachers because if I didn't have them, I wouldn't be able to see the scriptures the way I do. That's true to a certain extent. But a good teacher will actually help you understand how to understand the scriptures the way they do if they're good teachers. And you will then be more acutely aware of certain principles by which you, when you read the Bible, the Bible will open up. So I will say this. If you and I read the Bible just to get a handle on the Bible, you and I are an adversary of God. If you and I read the Bible with just the idea, I want to, I want to get this Bible. I want to understand this Bible. I want to be able to talk about this Bible. I want to tell somebody about the Bible. That's the wrong reason for reading your Bible. So that's not the, that's not the requisite humility that God calls us to for understanding his word. If we assume that what we're dealing with is the word of God, the first thing you want to do is make sure that you have a heart devoted to the scriptures as God's word. You and I have to come to God's word, not as if it was some other human secular book that we can deconstruct and put back together and then understand because it's God's word and God's thoughts are not your thoughts and his ways are not your ways. And because of that, if our heart is not right relative to going to God's word, the book is closed. Can you understand what I'm getting at? So when David said in Psalm 119, verse 11, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. The first thing he's doing is putting a high value on scripture as the word of God. And this is why I say to most people, before you start your excursion trying to interpret the Bible, because that's part of the challenge you will have. If your first objective is interpreting the Bible, it's wrong. Your first objective should be knowing the Bible, reading the Bible, becoming acquainted with its narrative, letting the nature of the Bible impact you from just pure exposure. When you have a high view of scripture, you can read the narrative verse by verse, line by line, sentence by sentence, and the value of each word in each sentence begins to make an impact on you by its very nature. It makes an impact. And you don't actually have to be able to interpret it. Interpretation is way secondary to relationship with God through the articulated word. Does that, under, does that make some sense? No. So I would defend it this way. The Bible wasn't written as so esoteric of a code that the only way you could enjoy it is if you first interpreted it. That's wrong. There is an intrinsic clarity to the Bible, an intrinsic simplicity to the Bible that just reading it will benefit you. Here is the first key to you becoming a good Bible teacher. Devotional reading of the scripture. Now, the key here really is about how you honor God's word, that when you read the Bible, you're hearing from God. And that's enough for the child in the hands of his father to just hear from daddy without having to understand everything that daddy says. Do you guys understand what I just stated? So, so learn to slow down and read the text and just meditate on it. 
because it does have the internal perspicuity. This is a theological term that says you don't need a priest to open up the Bible for you. That God is self-revelatory and that his desire is for you to know him. But the process of knowing him is humility. Before humility, before honor is what? Humility. Right. And so humility is going to access the word to you by and by as you walk humbly with the Lord your God. Does that make sense? Right. And I'm going to say this again, too, for some of you. Some of you, you don't need to necessarily be about the business of interpreting the scripture. Your job is just to read it daily and get acquainted with its, its sayings and language. Did you guys hear what I just stated? All right. So let me see if I can bless you with something here. This is critically important. So God gives us gifts like teachers and pastors and expositors, right? And he gives us plenty of them, some good, some bad. But if you are in the way of God growing you and sanctifying you, you're going to always have a good expositor, a good teacher to help you understand your Bible. That's going to be the meat on the plate with your vegetables and your starches and all your other carbs. Am I making some sense? So when you read your Bible, you facilitate your understanding when the teacher comes along and unpack it. Right. So you, you mix your relationship with God between listening to him prayerfully, listening to him devotionally, and then listening to him in the humility of the Bible being unpacked. That's how you grow personally. And then that's also how you grow in the word. Am I making some sense? In other words, your growth in the word won't be as expeditious if you don't read devotionally, though you come and hear me expound the word. There has to be a collaboration between the two. So if you and I are going to develop that sanctifying category of expression that that underscores a no factor against all of the wicked winds that come against us, you know, just say what? No. Blessed is a man that does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he doesn't exegete it all day. How many of you are blessed by that, that this opening commentary? Right, because this is where the mess up comes at for a lot of people. A lot of people struggling to try to interpret the Bible instead of humbling themselves under it and enjoying it as God's word. Because the Bible says God's word is, is food, it's meat, it's drink, it's honey. So the spirit of God communicates the, the, the blessing of scripture to our soul just by the mere reading of it. You grow significantly in your preparation for exposition by your reading and praying and thanking God that he gives you ears to be able to hear his word and give you a heart to read his word. Because do you understand that reading God's word with the exception of a demonic um, uh, uh, agenda for controlling scripture to dominate and, and, and manipulate people, that that is a spiritual gift to hunger for God's word is a gift that that's not natural. The natural mind is enmity against God. The carnal mind sees the word of God as foolishness. But for you and I to have a hunger for God's word, that we move in obedience to the hearing of it, that's God's grace. You know, when he takes you through the ebbs and flows where that hunger is not there, you're scared to death because you feel and think and act like an unsaved person. 
I only say that to preface what I'm saying. The account that's in front, in front of us, the 14 verses here, are fascinating to me. Powerful, fascinating. But they are because they are profoundly relational. They're profoundly relational because what, what Luke is narrating before us are people who are interested in Paul's well-being. Because the whole group of people, and there are three categories, we're going to deal with them here in a moment. They know where Paul is going. And these are spiritual people who talk to God. They commune in fellowship with God. That means they're in tune with God. And guess what? Everywhere Paul has gone in, in about eight cities that we've looked at here, where he stopped and hung out one day and seven days and another day, the people that were there were in tune with God enough to know that Paul is headed to trouble. And everyone to a T said, Paul, don't go. And the text would clearly, explicitly lay out before us that these people were led by the Spirit. So we're going to work through the perplexity of the wind and the way it blows. Because John chapter 3 verse 8 says, the wind blows hither and yon. You can't tell from whence it goes or whence it comes. It doesn't have the normal pattern of trajectory that you and I would anticipate. One minute is blowing north, the next minute is blowing south, the next minute is blowing east and west. And for you and I, it seems chaotic, doesn't it? You know how the wind will go shh, 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 shh. Right? And you're, what, what is the wind? The wind is always intelligent. It always knows what it's doing. But you and I in our finite mind can never grasp at one time the diversity of the winds and its movement. So what I'm saying is that what's in front of us in our text tonight is the wind blowing in several directions, all having a legitimate concern, yet necessitating a priority of honor in order for it to make sense. You guys got that? The wind blowing in several directions, all having a legitimate concern, yet necessitating a priority of order in order for the objective to be met. Y'all got that? Right. And this is the community of the faithful. This is the community of, of blessed believers. These are, this is actually a community of love. They're walking in communion and fellowship. They're mindful of the things of God. They're speaking in the spirit, and yet the wind is blowing. This is truly a fellowship of honor. honor. And warning, I said this, let me write this down. Don't be comfortable with not hearing from God. Don't be comfortable with not hearing from God. Don't be comfortable with long lapses in your communion with God. Don't get used to only hearing from God on Sunday. Don't be comfortable with not being in the spirit. Are you guys following me? That's like getting comfortable with not breathing. Like, hold your breath. And after about 30 seconds, tell me, are you comfortable? And so it is with a lot of people. They don't walk in a consistent way with God. And as such, they're comfortable not hearing from God. Now, a collective of those kind of people cannot hallmark our text. 
Because where we are not frequently hearing from God, we can't know what God's will is and nor can our character and attitude be shaped in a way of honor so that when we speak in people's lives, we are at least reflecting the character and nature of God. Am I making some sense? But our text does that in honor of the gospel to Jerusalem and in honor of the prophetic word, which for some of you intellectuals is the the media part that you want to deal with. It's important, but it's all important. And so as we make our way through our text, the first point I want to call your attention to is moving forward in the gospel. We pull up up our first point, moving forward in the gospel. Three sub points relative to that, that we want to make sure that we understand. Going to Jerusalem is a spiritual what? Headwind. Going to Jerusalem is a spiritual headwind. In other words, you are facing a wind against you. Going to Jerusalem is a spiritual headwind. The person that's going to Jerusalem is the person that's going to face the fury of the wind blowing south of him against him. That's one wind. And that's just a fundamental theme running through scripture since the fall of man. It's a fundamental theme running through scripture, period. Moving forward in the gospel, uh, the, the Lord Jesus told the disciples, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, right? Make disciples, um, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Begin where? At Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. But you guys also know the theme of Jerusalem, right? Jerusalem is where the prophets are killed. Jerusalem is where the king is rejected. Jerusalem is where Christ is crucified. Jerusalem is spiritually Egypt and Sodom, Revelation chapter 11. Jerusalem is the citadel of the seat of Satan relative to the gospel. And yet Paul is headed where? That's what I mean by a spiritual headwind. So what happens often in the Bible, you'll have these uh, uh, narratives of ships crossing the sea, both in the Old Testament and the New, and the wind blowing against them, right? And the Bible depicts the wind as either representing the Spirit of God or representing Satan and his opposition to the will of God. Is that true? All right. And so the wind blowing against Paul is the idea that someone or something is seeking to impede him from getting to Jerusalem. You guys got that? Right, that's a spiritual headwind here. This will pick up even more fiercely when he's headed to Rome in chapter 27 when he meets a storm called Eurachlodon. And the whole ship is destroyed and yet the souls are barely saved when they make it on to the island. It will demonstrate how the enemy does not want the gospel to make an impact in Jerusalem. So three sub points under this condition, it's a 400 mile uh, journey, very circuitous route that we saw in verses one through eight with about eight to 10 cities that Paul stopped at. Point number, uh, sub point eight, going to Jerusalem is a spiritual headwind. That's Luke 13, 33 and 34. Pull up Luke 13, 33 and 34, just for those who may not have a Bible. This is the fundamental principle by which we are deriving. Nevertheless, I must, I must walk today and tomorrow and the day following for it cannot be that a prophet perish where? Out of Jerusalem. So did Jesus know this spiritual headwind? Did he know this headwind? He knew what was happening. Sub point B, the dilemma of what? In your by outline, the dilemma of what? Love. All right, so right, I'm, I'm building a case under the first proposition. So hold your outline out, hold your Bible out. So we are headed into a headwind and anyone that is concerned about their well-being 
may not continue in that headwind. But the dilemma that Paul has is that he loves the people that he's going to. Now, when you love somebody, you will face a headwind. When you love somebody, you will hazard your life to break through those natural barriers of resistance because you perceive that what you want for them is greater than what those natural forces don't want from you. Well, time permits us to go no further. You have been listening to Way of Grace, the daily radio ministry of Grace Bible Church in Hayward, featuring our teacher and pastor, Pastor Jessica Stand. It is our prayer as we come to you daily on this broadcast that you're growing in grace, that you're growing in your love and adoration of Jesus Christ. That's the goal and the intent here at Way of Grace, that we might understand the amazing love of God in Christ. If you would like to obtain a copy of today's program, you've got a couple of ways you can do that. CDs are $5. Simply call or write to us and we'll send one to you. Or if you're internet savvy, simply stop by our website and you can download the audio file in MP3 version and that one's free. Grace-Bible.com is our website. That's Grace-Bible.com. And again, if you're willing to write to us or contact us by phone, if you would like the CD, simply do so at 510-886-9782. Again, that phone number is 510-886-9782. The address, if you're writing to us, is 22768 Main Street. That's here in Hayward. The zip code, 94541. And again, remember, the CD is $5, or simply stop by grace-bible.com and download the MP3 version for free. We would also invite you to join us for worship here at Grace Bible Church in Hayward. Sunday services are at 11 a.m., Sunday schools at 10 a.m. And don't forget, from a variety of churches and from all over the Bay Area, we have enjoyed a marvelous time of studying God's Word Friday evenings here at Grace Bible Church at 8 p.m. For the directions and the details, simply go to our website, grace-bible.com. That's grace-bible.com, or call 510-886-9782. Also, as the Lord leads, we're able to come to you here on KFAX, in part through your financial and prayerful involvement with this ministry. Now, while it's free for you to listen to, it does incur a cost on our end, and we look to the Lord for his gracious provision. And if you'd like to participate in that, then please do get a hold of us. Any donation, no matter how big or small, is greatly appreciated here at Way of Grace. 510-886-9782 is our phone number. Thank you for spending time with us today. Until next time, God bless. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.